This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Com. Hello, everybody. Hello, Elon, and Happy New Year. Yes, you as well. It's been a very happy new year for my fantasy hockey team. I hope it's the same for you. We are officially in the 14 part of the 2013-14 hockey season. Yeah, this is where the shit gets real. We talked the real numbers on this show. That was one of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really quickly, before we start the show, I just want to let you know that you can contact us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. We have been answering people's fantasy hockey questions. We'd love to answer yours. Also, if you follow us, you'll get lots of advice all the time. Brian's tweeting up a storm since he's been back from his vacation. I took over the Twitter account for a little while while he was away. Brian, what did you think of my tweets? Did you like when I tweeted about how my team was doing so well? I really did. I think that was a really good tweet. Also, you can email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. We love to receive your emails. Also, one new thing I'll say, you can now listen to us on Stitcher Radio. So if that's how you like listening to podcasts, we're now on Stitcher. So there's a link to it on our website, keepingcarlson.com. And from there, you can get to our Stitcher Radio page. So let's get on with the show. How's your team doing over the past couple of weeks? Right. So we took last week off. And last week, I sort of took off of fantasy too. I had someone manage my team by proxy, just sort of starting all my goalies, making sure I had as many active players starting as possible. So I guess it kind of works, kind of backfired. I lost 7-6 to the last place team, which was pretty hard to take. Oh, I guess it's my own fault. Weren't you in first going into that week? I was and I remained first afterwards but you know if i had been a little more strategic somehow i couldn't have possibly been because uh, i was out of access of fantasy hockey but if i could have been a little more strategic with the way i started my goalies i might have been able to take a couple more categories and the win but i didn't and the minnesota wild were slumping hard and of course i have their goalie tandem and that sort of wrecked me for the week um, but at least i won the saves category and this week, I don't know, it's kind of looking like more of the same. I'm down 7-5 right now to the second place team in the league. Ken Cleese is their name, with only one day of games to go. He's been really weird with his IR management. I wonder if you have a take on this at all, Elon. Up until today, he had three healthy players still in IR spots. And these are good players. They're Roberto Luongo. Anton Kudobin and Tyler Bozak, not fantasy irrelevant at all. And it also means, right, when you have a player in IR that is no longer on real life IR, you can't make any other roster moves. So I guess he's just going with it. I was wondering if he's on vacation, but he's definitely not. He's moving his other guys around quite a bit. And if he had Luongo and Kudobin playing actively this week, 
he would have won another two goalie categories. So I'm happy he was sort of being weird about it. I'm not really sure what his motivation was. Well, I mean, the question to ask is if he would have dropped a couple of players in order to put them in, maybe he would have won those extra categories, but would he have lost categories because of the players he would have dropped? Right. Well, I guess that's the trade-off he was making. I thought it was a little sneaky, but of course it's by the rules and whoever can use the rules best to their advantage deserves to win, I think. But I guess offensively, he did do really well. My team let me down to start with, particularly Blake Wheeler, who had no point in a minus three, although he is playing tomorrow. Uh, Mike Richards had only one assist and pretty much all my D-men except Eric Carlson. I'm really starting to lose patience. I don't know what to do with Kimo Timonen, Tobias Enstrom, and the others, John Carlson, but that's okay. With Timonen and Enstrom, I guess I made them my problem when I picked them up really excitedly off the waiver wire, and they're still not coming through. I'm, I'm still ready to wait, but my patience is starting to wear thin. But anyway, on his team, he's had nine players put up three points or more this week, including the obvious ones like Patrick Sharp and John Tavares and Daniel Sedin. But along with surprises like Andrew McDonald, defenseman on the Islanders, five assists and three power play assists along with those. Wow. Yeah, there was a stretch I remember where I was thinking of picking him up. I think I even mentioned him on the show. And he was always just, you know, one defenseman away from the guy who I ended up grabbing. And now he really is heating up for the Islanders. Whoever has him must be really happy at the moment. Yeah, he was having a pretty hard time for a while. But especially if you're in a league that counts blocked shots, he's somebody you want to take a look at especially right now, catch him while he's hot. Uh, he also had Nick Benino, who had a goal and two assists. Craig Smith, who had two goals and an assist. He also had two guys that I had on my roster at one point this year, Nick Felino and Eric Johnson. They both had three points, and that hurts a little more. So I guess maybe you're right. This is why he's stashing guys on his injured reserve, even though they're Roberto Luongo and a really hot Anton Kudobin. It's kind of annoying, but it worked. And I guess he dominated the offensive categories almost across the board. You know, I feel like another reason why someone would do that, like keep the players on the IR, it's like it allows you to push the decision away. You know, if you can't decide who you're going to drop, maybe it's worth it to even take a short term hit. Like maybe he was thinking, yeah, maybe I'll lose a couple goalie categories, but I'll be able to observe my players and not drop the wrong one. Sure. And I think part of the reason he was able to do that, you know, keep a player like Luongo on his bench is he has Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been doing really well lately. And he sort of, he almost won all the goalie categories single-handedly anyway. Uh, His other goalie, he had Robin Leonard active also, who's a decent option. So I guess he wasn't desperate, but personally, I wouldn't really want to leave Luongo on my bench any longer than I had to. And he has players like Rafael Diaz, who I would get rid of in a heartbeat. And a couple other guys, too, that I would probably cut in favor of having a couple regular guys start instead. Right. Well, if he's listening, I'm sure he's saying, hey, how about you give advice after you beat me in a matchup? Good point. Well, that's my goal. I can still take it tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, good luck. So that's my two weeks. I hope I'll still be in first place by the time this week's done. I'm not sure, but it seems like you won't have any problems because in the show notes where it says, how'd you do this week? You wrote all caps awesome. So was it really worth an all caps awesome? I think it was, Brian. My team is on fire right now. Last week, I won 5-2. to two. One of the categories I lost was special teams points, where I lost by only one. I could have actually tied that category, so I could have done even better. The reason that I lost was because I had Henrik Zetterberg still on my bench, even though he was playing on the Saturday and he got a special teams point. He came back off the IR. This week, I'm doing even better. I'm winning 6-1. to one. 
my team is pretty much on fire. Like I have a lot of players doing well. I actually don't really have many players to complain about, but I'll tell you who is doing well for me. Okay. Scott Hartnell, who was someone I was considering dropping. I had Mark Shifley and Scott Hartnell on the bubble when Henrik Zetterberg came off the IR. I ended up deciding to trade Mark Shifley away and keep Scott Hartnell. And Hartnell has rewarded me with two goals and two assists in the last four games. Also this week, Paul Stastny, three assists in three games. Ryan O'Reilly, two goals and an assist. Zetterberg, like I said, is doing great. He has two goals and three assists this week. Marek Zidlitschke has started to heat up. He has two goals and an assist on the week. Kyle Ocposo on fire. I was tweeting about him, Brian. Did you see my tweets about Ocposo? I did. You were right on top of Ocposo's hot streak. Oh my goodness. I almost traded him. My trade got vetoed. And the fantasy hockey gods decided to give me some consolation for my trade getting vetoed by lighting a fire under Kyle Ocposo. In the past few games, he's had multi-point games. He had three multi-point games in a row. What a stud. (laughs) So studly. (laughs) Also, Joe Pavelski has two goals and two assists in the last three games. So my team is on top of things. The only category I'm losing this week is save percentage. And it was actually very high until yesterday, my two goalies... Semyon Varlamov and Antoniemi played each other and both didn't have great games, and that brought me below my opponent. Though I am winning in goalie wins 4-0, so his team has a save percentage of .9254, yet he couldn't muster a win on the week, which I feel bad for him, I have to say. Yeah, that's bad luck. You sort of lucked out on that one. Yeah, he has Martin Jones and Josh Harding. So he had two games with Martin Jones, both where he played well. He has a total save percentage of .932, but couldn't get a win. I'll take it. Take it and run. So that's my status on fire. Thank you for all of your advice you've been giving me, Brian. I think you've helped me to get my roster to this perfect point. Let's move on now and talk about some moves we've made since we last recorded. Have you made any roster moves? Yeah, I made a couple. So everybody knows Mike Fisher. Well, everybody should know Mike Fisher had those two three-point games in a row. So I decided I wanted to get on board with that. And he's kept it up. He's got a point streak, four games long, four goals, five assists, including those two three-point games, plus six, 17 shots on goal, and even six block shots. So I added him to my team at the expense of Mikhail Granlund, who had just come off IR. He's actually been pretty good since he came off injured reserve, better than he was when he went on it. He's got five points in his last seven games played, including a power play goal and a power play assist. But I don't know, he has weak underlying numbers. He has a pretty poor plus minus and is occasionally getting no shots on goal in a game. So I decided that he would be the expendable one on my roster. And Mike Fisher, I'm sort of hoping he can go streaking for a little while. He said in an interview that his workload has been reduced a little bit by the coach and and that's helping him a little bit. And it's showing in his number, he's had a few more offensive zone starts than he usually gets in the last handful of games. Yeah. So Fisher's been in the league a long time. Is this rare that he's having a streak like this, or is this something he tends to do once in a while? Yeah, just eyeballing his production over the last few seasons, it seems like he doesn't often have like consecutive three-point games necessarily, but he does have long stretches where he doesn't do a whole lot and then tends to go on little streaks. And it actually even seems to happen towards the end of the season. So maybe that's something for myself and any other interested poolie to look a little more into and decide if that really is a trend worth noticing uh, as the second half of the fantasy season approaches. Well, regardless, he seems like a great pickup, and I'm glad you're running with him. 
He's available in my league. I don't think I have anyone I could drop for him right now, but definitely if someone goes on the IR, he's at the top of my list. Yeah, he's been added and dropped a whole bunch of times in my league. He's sort of like the best guy constantly available, which doesn't say a whole lot, right? Anyway, the other two moves I made came very late. You know, I feel like, again, my opponent this week is not being sneaky, but just sort of trying to really work everything in their favor. So I did the same. I identified the blocks category as maybe something I could overtake in the last day of games. So what I did is Josh Harding has like a minor illness. And anytime Josh Harding has a minor illness, this is a little bonus of having Josh Harding is he goes on the IR like really fast or goes day to day really easily. So I stashed him in an IR plus slot and picked up Matt Irwin, defenseman on the San Jose Sharks, who's sort of new. You might have noticed he he had a bit of a hot run earlier on this year. But right now, very quietly, eight points in 10 games. But for me, what I really want is his shot blocks. And that's what I'm getting. I also finally dropped Curtis McElhaney. With Bobrovsky healthy, there's not a whole lot of value in holding him anymore. And also his numbers just weren't really holding up, especially with how he started the season. He did sort of regress to his career numbers, you know, a goals against right around three and a save percentage maybe under nine ten by a little bit so I dropped him and I picked up Justin Braun on the San Jose Sharks so I'm hoping for a lot of blocked shots for the San Jose Sharks defenseman tomorrow I need to get five more than he does to win the category well block shots isn't a category I ever really look at since it's not in my league but you'd think if San Jose is playing Chicago and Chicago takes a lot of shots so maybe that means you're going to have a lot of opportunities for block shots. Yeah, that was part of the decision. These aren't long-term ads, although I might hold on to Matt Irwin if he keeps this up. But Justin Brown is definitely a one-game ad, sort of a throwaway move, just to try and hold on to first place. Because if he even beats me by two categories, as he is now, then he will take over first place by one point. And I would like to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Interesting moves. Yeah, so those were sort of out of necessity, a little bit out of panic and strategy. Uh, But what about you? Did you do anything significant with your team this week? Let's go first back to last week. So I did make a trade, actually. So if you recall, during the last episode, you were talking about how Mark Shifley is the greatest guy. You need to grab him right away. And so on the show, while we were recording, I dropped Tyler Johnson and picked up Shifley, which, by the way, might not have even been a good move in itself since Tyler Johnson's actually heated up over the past little while. But regardless, Shifley was on a hot streak, so I grabbed him. But then, as I was saying on that last recording, this roster spot was just waiting for Henrik Zetterberg to come back. So I ended up deciding, once I saw Zetterberg was coming back, I thought I'd be proactive and trade Shifley so I wouldn't have to drop him for nothing. I found someone willing to trade Cody Hodgson to me for... Shifley. And so Hodgson is someone I was able to just put right into my IR because he's injured. So now I've got Hodgson on the IR. I got rid of Shifley. And, you know, right now I don't even know if Hodgson would make it into my lineup if he came back today. The rest of my team is doing really well. But, you know, if someone goes down on injury and Hodgson comes back, I don't think it's a bad pickup. Right. That's not bad, except you don't have access to Shifley anymore. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Are you still as high on Shifley as you were a couple of weeks ago? Well, I guess he's cooled down. He's definitely not streaking the way he was when we spoke about him two weeks ago. But he's still got two points in his last six games. Not a whole lot's changed in his underlying numbers. So I think I would have dropped him and hoped he'd still be available because Cody Hodgson sure isn't doing a whole lot of anything. In his last eight games, he only has two assists. He's putting plenty of shots on net, so maybe he's got that going for him. But 
As I said in a previous podcast, I would really not want to own any member of the Buffalo Sabres. Right. Well, I don't really know, though, this strategy of dropping someone just hoping that they'll be available. I'd rather have a sure thing. So I just kind of wanted to have this guy on my IR just in case. Cody Hodgson, you know, was drafted this year pretty high. So I know right now it's no good to have someone on the Sabres, but you never know. Maybe he could spark the offense once he gets back. Probably not. (laughs) The other move, which I haven't made yet, but I'm going to, Dennis Weidman has come back. He was on the IR for a while. I actually have, I actually pulled uh, Brian's opponent and I've left Weidman on the IR, even though I could have put him in my lineup just because I wanted to see how he would do in his first game. Hey, and, and to be clear, that's okay. I do it too. This was just three guys and three pretty relevant guys. No, for sure, yeah. So Weidman is playing four times next week, so definitely I want to get him in. So I'm going to have to drop a defenseman, and it looks like I'm going to be dropping Jack Johnson, who I picked up also. I mentioned it in the last episode. So he hasn't done too badly for me. He has two points in his past four games. So he had a two-game stretch of getting a point in each game. So, you know, for my league where defense points is a category, that did help. And I'm happy for his contributions, but I think he's going to have to say goodbye. I was thinking going into the weekend that I would either drop him or maybe one of my New Jersey defensemen, Zidlitschke and Andy Green. But both of them are doing really well. They had one game against Chicago where Green got one goal and Zilichki scored two goals. It was a great night for my defense points. And so now I just can't imagine dropping either of them. And Jack Johnson, you know, sort of been cold most of the season. I'm sure if I drop him, he won't be grabbed right away. So I could even take him back if I feel like it. I wouldn't think so. It's really funny because you've traded him away too, right? Yeah. Man, you've done a lot with Jack Johnson. And recently, I mean, I'll cut you some slack. You know I'm not a fan of his, but... Strictly from a fantasy perspective, he has six points in his last 12 games, which is not negligible, like you said, in leagues that count defensive points. That's handy. Only one of them has been on the power play, and they've all been assists, but it's something. Yeah, so thank you for your services, Jack Johnson, but I think Dennis Weidman is a clear upgrade, or at least I hope so. Let's move on now to a listener question. Rob sent us an email, keepingcarlson at gmail.com, asking, Mason Raymond, am I snoozing on him or what? And he's in a 12-man head-to-head league. He counts goals, assists, plus-minus, penalty minutes, power play points, bunch of things. <laughs> Basically a standard league. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I feel like with questions like these, you know, it's useful and we appreciate when you send your stats. But when you ask about a guy like Mason Raymond, I assume you thought he'd get more than two points in his last nine games. So is he a snoozer or is he someone worth holding on to? Yeah, well, if you look further back, you said he's got a go- one goal and one assist in his last nine games. And if you take out, he had a four-point night in like a really lopsided game where the Leafs totally blew out Chicago 7-3. to three. If you take that game out, he had four points, which was great. But remove it, he has only three points in his last 14 games and five points in his last 20 games played. And this is something we talked about a little earlier when we were talking about... James Van Riemsdyk. James Van Riemsdyk, exactly, and how his production has waned a little bit. And it's something that, again, all of the Maple Leafs are regressing really hard after, really, just team-wide, they had an unsustainable start. And Mason Raymond is feeling it. He put up 17 points in his first 22 games with Toronto, which was really exciting. New team, everyone thought he had so much upside still after his... Time in Vancouver never really went as planned. But in Toronto, those numbers, what they hid was he's actually been used in a defensive role far more often than not rarely getting more than half of his zone starts in the other team's end. His possession numbers are 
pretty awful, although they are relatively average for any Maple Leafs player this year. And it seems there's really not a whole lot to look forward to either. If you're in a 12-team league, which you are, uh, there are probably better options at this point for you. And even looking back at his career history, there really isn't much promise there either. He's a 40-point player at best, and with the way he's playing and the team that he's playing for, you can probably even knock a few more points off of that expectation. Interesting, yeah. So you're saying he could probably drop Mason Raymond Maybe if you have some Leafs fans in your league, maybe you could find someone who would be interested in taking him. Maybe you could trade him for a draft pick or something. Oh, totally. Or some really like maybe bleeding heart Canucks fans who aren't ready to let him go yet. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I don't know that I'd call him a snoozer. I'd give him a few more days for that status, but it sure seems like he's trending in that direction. I think you might be snoozing on Mason Raymond by the time we record our next podcast. All right. Well, good analysis, Brian. Thanks for that. Let's shift over and talk about something more general now. Let's look at the bigger picture. Brian, I hear you had some thoughts you wanted to share about how to end the season. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you want to win at the end of the season, but to get there, you really have to be on your toes the whole time. And, you know, most teams are passing the 42-43 game mark, which means we're halfway through the NHL season, which likely means that your fantasy season is about 60% complete. So it's time to start thinking about your end game. Elon, is there anything you're doing to really look ahead and prepare for the playoffs at this point? It's obviously a nice position to be in. I'm in first place, so I'm very confident I'll be making the playoffs. So I have been thinking about what I'm going to do to try to win those playoff matchups. The main thing I've been trying to do at this point is I'm trying to not use up many acquisitions. So we have a limit of 40 in our league. I've used 18 so far. I'm trying to slow down. It's easy when people in my lineup are doing really well, so I don't have any burning needs. But I really think that it'll be handy come playoff time to have the freedom to add and drop people sort of at will. You know, like a player like Patrick Eliash, who you obviously don't drop in the middle of the season, but if he goes day-to-day again in the playoffs, I want to be able to quickly drop him, pick someone else up. Or if I have a goalie that's only playing two games one week, maybe I'll drop Varlamov and pick up a Brian Elliott-type goalie who's hot. So that's my main plan going into the playoffs, is try to stick with this hot roster and then have a lot of acquisitions available to just really tinker. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy, especially when the playoffs come around. Those moves are like currency. If you're out of moves and your opponent has some, they can make some last minute plays to target certain categories and win them at the end of the week. And I think it's also important to to start looking at trades. And maybe we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. But you've got to look at how you can get the players that are going to be traded. Say you're in a keeper league. You've got the teams at the bottom who are looking to sell. And if you can find them ready to sell, you know, a couple months ahead of time, that means you have first dibs and you're probably paying less for them also. So identify those teams at the bottom who are looking to sell, maybe start a conversation so that when it is time to really get going in the trade market, you've already opened a dialogue. Right. So basically you're saying find people who are low in the league, see how many keepers there are in your league so you could determine who they're probably going to keep. And then of the remaining players, you'd assume they'd be up for grabs. Yeah, it's one way to maybe avoid a bidding war when the trade deadline rolls around in your league. But then what do you do in terms of like, what should you offer them? I guess draft picks is the currency when you're a top team trying to get some players for the playoffs. Definitely. It's draft picks and it's hard. You have to, that's a personal decision. But hopefully by starting that conversation now, you'll be able to keep higher draft picks than you otherwise would. So, okay, that's the strategy if you're at the top. You've sort of hinted at it, but let's say now you're at the bottom of your league right now. 
how should you be trying to get those good draft picks? Well, let's talk about bottom and middle, I think, because you've really got to take a hard look at your team. If you're not in a playoff spot or if you're in a bubble playoff spot, it's a good time to start thinking about it. You don't know where you're going to end up. There's still a lot of time left, but it's at least a good thing to start thinking about considering if you're going to miss the playoffs or if you're on the bubble What are you going to do to make a push for the playoffs? Because you know the other teams around you are going to be doing the same. If you're at the bottom, it's sort of the inverse strategy of those at the top, right? Identify the people at the top, figure out what players you can afford to give them, and state your asking price for those players. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to hear from our listeners if anyone's starting to make any end game moves. Yeah, and we'll definitely revisit this as the season goes on. These aren't any moves to start making now, but you should at least sort of be starting to think about what your end game will be. Moving along, let's talk about some players that have been on our minds. Brian, do you have anyone that people should be paying attention to? Sure. Let's start with Braden Holtby. Oh boy. Yeah. His last start was especially notable in a very unfortunate way. So let's look back a little bit. Grubauer, who we've mentioned a couple times, he started in net for nine of 12 games for the Caps during a certain stretch. And Holtby finally got back in the net against Minnesota on Saturday night. And he stopped only 6 of 11 shots. Five of Holtby's last six appearances have seen him put up a save percentage beneath 865. You really shouldn't be counting on him anymore, especially since Washington has not one but two other options in net to go with. That's Grubauer and Neuwirth, who wants a trade. But anyway, he's still in the picture for now. If Holtby's your number one, or even your number two goalie, and you want to have a shot at contending for your league, it's definitely past time to start thinking about your plan B. Yeah, what a fall for Holtby. I mean, after such a great season last year, no one would have expected this. I think people were thinking he was a contender to be on Team Canada in the Olympics. You know, there have been a lot of falls from grace this year in goaltending. I'm just looking back at my draft results from the beginning of the year. Craig Anderson was the first available goalie to go, and he's had his struggles this year. So has Sergei Bobrovsky, who went next. Nicholas Backstrom has had a nightmare of a season. So has Devin Dubnik and Braden Holtby. Really, Ryan Miller was like the sixth goalie picked, and he's been the best of the bunch, even though he can't buy a win with the Sabres. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of what Dauber has been saying, or at least whoever writes the Dauber's Daily Ramblings. He seems to be a big proponent for goalies not being as valuable as teams think they are. Like, it seems like every year you could pick up a new streaking goalie that ends up doing really well. In a sense, he's got a point, and that's been proven this year, especially with all the backups and even third stringers that have made their mark. I think this has been a pretty abnormal year, though, for goalie performances and how many goalies we've seen fall out of favor with both their teams and their fantasy owners. Like, I just rhymed off five goalies. We rarely see five goalies deviate this much from their career projections altogether in one season. But then again, if you look at a couple of the goalies we've talked about, Sergei Bobrovsky, Devin Dubnik, and Braden Holtby, they don't have huge bodies of work to go from, and goalies are always a little harder to predict than most, but they do matter so much in fantasy hockey. So, I understand why people took those risks, including myself on Devin Dubnik. It's just really been a tough year if you did invest, you know, your first or second overall pick in a goaltender with one of the names that we've just mentioned. Yeah, well, speaking of goaltenders that shouldn't be a risk, 
Tell us about your thoughts on Henrik Lundqvist and his season. Well, with him, we've had questions about what to do with the Rangers goaltending situation all season long. And my answer has always been, it's Henrik Lundqvist. Stick it out. Everything's going to get better. And Cam Talbot, sure, he's okay, but he's no threat to Lundqvist. But now, even a conservative prognosticator such as myself is starting to wonder. In his last 10 appearances, Henrik has had a save percentage over 900 only three times out of his last 10 appearances. Wow. And he's only picked up three wins in the same span. Now, don't get me wrong. It really is impossible to ever just give up on Lundqvist because he's shown over 500 plus games of his career up until the season that he is elite. But if you're a Lundqvist owner, you would be well served to see if you can get at least Kem Talbot on your roster just in case or maybe another third goalie option. And Talbot, by the way, has won three of his last four games with nine wins total, a 1.66 goals against average, and a 9.38 save percentage with two shutouts along with that on the season so far. Yeah, this is something that no one would have predicted happening. People even having a discussion about Cam Talbot over Henrik Lundqvist, but these are the times we're, we're living in. Right, maybe 20 games into the season it was, you know, like whatever, but we're halfway through. Yeah, pretty crazy. Let's stick with the New York Rangers for a second. I wanted to ask you about a player who seems to be slightly streaking for the team. Benoit Pouliot, left winger on the Rangers, has silently put up nine points in his last 10 games played. What do you know about this guy Pouliot? Well, I know he came into the NHL with a lot of promise, and he's bounced around quite a bit. Minnesota said enough with him, so did Montreal. Boston had him for a bit and then let him go, and so did Tampa. So he's now with his fifth team in seven years, and that sort of tells me all I need to know about a player. Yeah, he's been doing really well lately. During the stretch you just mentioned, though, he has five goals on 18 shots. So Elon, can you compute quickly? What's that shooting percentage for him in that stretch? So you said five out of 18. It's a very high shooting percentage. I think I see where you're getting at. Right. Well, his career number is 13.4%. And this current shooting percentage over this streak is about double that. So I wouldn't say it's sustainable. It's really strange to see him do this well, I have to say. Although last year in Tampa, he did have 20 points in 34 games, which is not too shabby, but never before in his career, except maybe for a small part of a season in Montreal where he was given a lot of opportunity, has he ever shown this sort of scoring prowess? And I wouldn't count on him for it long term. But of course, if you have that streaking spot where you can shift in a hot player, uh, you might consider him, although I think maybe... It's coming to an end because it's been going on so long. And that's where I fall on Benoit Pouliot. All right. All right. Anyone else you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about John Michael Lyles. That's a name we haven't really needed to pay a lot of attention to lately. Remember, I mean, this was a 40-point guy with Colorado before being traded to the Leafs. High hopes. I mean, he had some injuries, but then I don't know what happened with management. He ended up in the AHL. But since being traded to Carolina on New Year's Day, he's plus three and is seeing first-line power play time on his new team. So that means he's on the ice with Eric Stahl, if he's healthy, Jeff Skinner, Alex Semin, and Ryan Murphy. If you're desperate for defensemen, he should be on your watch list, especially because the Canes have been pretty thin to date on defensive scoring other than podcast favorite Andrej Sekera. So there is a niche for him to fill, and hey, maybe he'll do it. Keep an eye on him. Somebody else on your watch list who has had a really hard time being successful so far this season, former snoozer, 
Corey Conacher. He's been woken up by a bit of a strange circumstance, not what you'd expect. His regular centerman, Jason Spezza, was injured towards the end of December, which you'd think would be bad for already terrible production. But Conacher, he was shifted to center, and Mika Zibanejad filled in on his wing. Let's talk briefly about Zibanejad to explain what's going on with Conacher. Zibanejad has not only put up good numbers for himself personally, but he's been regularly making his linemates' numbers better too. He's actually leading the Senators in possession numbers at even strength, and he's sitting just outside the top 50 for the entire NHL. Travis Yost over at NHL Numbers has written a lot about his impact and how impressive it is, especially for a young player. But let's get back to Conacher, right? This is good for him. Jason Spezza, to put it bluntly, has been a drag on his line mates this season, and replacing him with Zibanejad has paid immediate dividends for Conacher. Conacher promptly went on a three-game mini-point streak, scored a goal and four assists with seven shots on goal. These aren't world-beating numbers, but alongside his stats to date, they're worthy of your attention. He's also been seeing several more offensive zone starts, going even two complete games without even one face-off in the defensive zone. He's on my watch list, and he should be on yours, at least until Spezza returns. I guess I'll mention a couple of players now. I mentioned earlier in the episode that I had dropped Tyler Johnson, and then he sort of went streaking. So just to give some numbers on that, Johnson has four points in his last five games, including three goals. So definitely nothing to sneeze at. Another player on Tampa Bay who maybe even has a more impressive streak going is Andrej Palat. So he's got six points in his last five games, two of them goals. What do you think, Brian, about these Tampa Bay streakers? Well, something interesting I read recently was an article by Benjamin Wendorf over at hockey-graphs.com, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but essentially what he's saying is that the Lightning have sort of tinkered with their game and actually have better possession numbers now than they did when Samkos was in the lineup. So I think they've all collectively pulled it together and like you said, Palat and Johnson have sort of been right in the thick of that and have benefited from not only more ice time and a bigger offensive role, but also a more successful team game in general. The Lightning are controlling the puck more, which means more points and more success for the team as a whole. And we'll also link that article in the show notes so you can get down and dirty with the numbers. Yeah, it's really interesting. And also, especially these guys are streaking and you'd think maybe it's because they're playing with Martin St. Louis, but actually he's got zero points in his last three games. So not to say that you should be worried about Martin St. Louis. He did have six shots in his last game. But I just, yeah, I'm finding interesting that these sort of secondary players are picking it up for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've really done a good job. Iserman, I guess, had the right pieces in place and the coaching has utilized them appropriately. So good for Tampa Bay. Way to go. Ben Bishop also doing really well. I guess it's that point in the show now where we'll start to wrap things up. Let's do a quick lightning round. Brian, give us a couple of players, 30 seconds each. Let's start by giving Ryan Suter his due. I mean, on our podcast, we like to talk about the guys you wouldn't normally think about it, or maybe someone who's elite and struggling. But Ryan Suter, let's just talk about him quickly. He has points in 11 of his last 12 games played. He scored five goals and nine assists in that spin. He's also averaging about three shots on goal and a couple blocked shots. He's now got 29 points in 42 games on the season, which is ahead of his pace for last year. And he is officially a stud defenseman. The crazy thing is those five goals that you talked about during the streak, those were his first five goals of the year. Yeah, those are all of them. And three of them came in the same game. 
That's wild. No pun intended. <laughs> Good one. And we'll round out the show with Anton Kudobin. As I mentioned earlier, if my opponent this week had played him, he probably would have won the goaltending stats. Thank goodness he didn't. It's been a while since we mentioned Kudobin's name, especially as a legitimate third goalie option for your roster. He's been out with an injury since mid-October. But since returning, he's started both of Carolina's games since he's been active on their roster, stopping 76 of 81 shots to pick up wins against the Capitals and the Islanders. If you have Cam Ward on your team, you need to pick up Kudobin now as the handcuff option. Ward has gone eight consecutive starts where he stops fewer than 90% of the shots he's faced. And meanwhile, Kudobin's flaunting a 938 save percentage since returning and still a 934 save percentage on the season. The caveat, as it was back in October, is that he's got a small body of work in the NHL so far, but what there has been has been stellar, and I think that's enough to at least split time with Cam Ward the rest of the way combined with the way that Ward is playing, if not supplant him completely as the number one. If you are at all worried about your goaltending, maybe you're a Lundqvist or a Holtby owner, Kudobin is someone worthy of a roster spot on your team. Interesting. Though I should point out that Justin Peters is actually the goalie scheduled to play today for Carolina, according to left-wing luck. So it seems like it might actually be a three-goalie race. Yeah, and we're actually seeing that in a few places, too. I think in Washington that we mentioned already, and in L.A., now that Quick is back with Scrivens and Jones also battling for time in the crease. And the word is that Carolina wants to end up with two goalies soon enough and probably trade one. But as far as Kudobin's concerned, whether he stays with Carolina or goes elsewhere, I think he'll be in a position where he's needed to come in and do at least semi-regular work in net, which means to me that he's still a valuable guy to have on your roster. I know if he ends up in the free agent pool in my league, I will definitely pick him up. All right. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. And like I've said throughout the show, we love to hear from you. So send us an email, keepingcarlson at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter, at keepingcarlson. And you could check out all of the show notes to this episode at our website, keepingcarlson.com. Thanks also to the websites and resources that we usually use to prepare for the show each week. And that includes leftwinglock.com, extraskater.com, dauberhockey.com. And we'll also post the links to the articles we referenced in the show in this week's show notes. All right, so let's cue that outro music. Brian, thanks for joining us for another week. I want to quickly say, if you like the show, also, maybe tell a friend. That might be nice. Oh, also, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. We would definitely really appreciate that. But that's going to do it. Goodbye, Brian, and good luck winning your matchup this week and next. Bye, Elon, and thank you, everyone, for listening.